Welcome to episode 161 of No Challenges Remaining, back stateside in the U.S. That was redundant, but I'm Ben Rothenberg, Courtney Nguyen, on the other side of the U.S. in California. Welcome home, Courtney. Thank you, Ben. It's lovely to be home. How, what, what have you, besides copious consumption of ice, mm-hmm. what, what else have you enjoyed about being back? Because we were both gone 10 weeks, long time. 10 weeks, yes. No, my, my week has been filled with, yes, a lot of ice which is our birthright as Americans. Frozen water. Yeah. Some people think we use some weird drug phrase or something. No. Just... No, just ice. It, it yeah. is our birthright. And I and I got, saw a bunch of tweets that were very confused, kind of telling us, dude, we do have ice in Europe. Okay, you do have ice in Europe. But when I ask for ice, I get you, y'all give me three cubes of ice. I'm talking like I want, you know, a big old cup full from the bottom all the way to the top. And that is something that in Europe... I just personally have not been able to come across a, you know, standard. I mean, we get that wherever we go at any fast food shop at any uh, uh, 7-Eleven, something like that. Free ice everywhere. You could stand there in a 7-Eleven and just or a gas station and just hit the ice thing and just stand there and just let watch ice just fly out of there. And no one would stop you. And you would dump it out and no one would be offended. Like, no one would be wasting offended. our precious ice. No, no, it's not precious. It's air. It's, it's just what we have. So, yeah, so a lot of ice. Um, continuing with my tour of America um, and all things great about America, uh, saw the Dixie Chicks on Fun. Tuesday, which was awesome and amazing um, because they were one of those bands that I had tickets to go see back in my pre-tennis writing career days. And every single time I had tickets, I never could go because some emer- work emergency flared up, which is why I hated my old job. And so I finally got to see them and it was totally worth it. <clears throat> that was great. They did Daddy Lessons by Beyonce. They had a Prince tribute. Uh, it was wonderful. And uh, other than that, just been playing a lot of video games. That sounds nice. Yeah. So just I've played a lot of Assassin's Creed, um, a little bit of Thief, but mainly Assassin's Creed Syndicate because Assassin's Creed Unity is trash, you guys, trash. And that has nothing to do with the fact that it's based in France. Because Assassin's Creed Syndicate is based in the UK, in London, and I've been in London the whole time. You'd think that I wouldn't want to see London anymore, but Syndicate is so much better as a game. So yeah, that's where these I'm are. At. These are a lot of points. You got a lot of stuff done. I, I feel like relatively unaccomplished. All I did was watch like the first half of Orange Is the New Black. Ah, uh, oh, so and I also watched um, Alley Long Baby Cobra, which I have to say, everybody needs. To, if you have Netflix, go watch it. The one-hour comedy special from Ali Ali Wong, who is um, a writer on Fresh Off the Boat, um, she's tremendous. It was it was lovely. Yeah, no, I haven't done Orange Is the New Black yet. In fact, I thought that we were not going to watch it, and then we would like watch it in Cincy. But you're ahead, so oh, I never, I, I never, never, I never. Well, we never got... agreed. We never agreed. It was <laughs> a whole, it was a whole thing in my head. I was like, oh, I'm sure Ben's not watching it. He's like, he's busy with his own stuff. Like, I guess we'll just watch it in Cincy. <laughs> I mean, I'd be happy to rewatch some of it and see if you want. But no, it's fine. It's just was a like, silent one-sided pack that I was. Yeah, I guess. I, I, in my head, it was far more explicit. Like, <laughs> like in like the first season of Orange Is the New Black, when Piper goes to jail and tells Jason Biggs, "Please promise me that you're not going to watch Mad Men," and then he totally watches Mad Men without her. That's what you did. That's fine. <laughs> except for except for in this case, we never had that conversation. No, we never fine. did. Only in my head. <laughs> So it's always great to have people get mad at you for things. You... I'm not mad. I'm not mad. <laughs> I was just like, you sent me the text message and I was like, oh, all right. Well, then I guess I'll just watch it then. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. Um, so on this, things happened this week, though. Um, it did. I, I mean, tried all... not to be involved in tennis and yet. All sorts of things happened. Uh, we'll get to them in some order. And there's just a lot of different tennis happening. I mean, there's ATP and WTA tournaments, there's Davis Cup, and a bunch of Olympic news. But we'll start, I think, I was curious, I was thinking late in Wimbledon that people had kind of forgotten about Victoria Azarenka, and it would be a really good time to go like put money on her to win the US Open, because I think that as good of a hardcore player she had been, she was fairly out of sight, out of mind for most of Europe. Um, and so I went looking on Thursday evening, what the odds were, which I just checked sometimes out of curiosity. And Azarenka was the second favorite to win the U.S. Open behind Serena, which surprised me that she was ahead of Kerber. 
Um, but, you know, made sense because I thought she'd be a strong pick and people agreed. And then the next morning, I found out she will not be playing the U.S. Open <laughs> or anything else for a while because she is expecting a baby, which I don't think people saw coming. As Courtney, what, were, what are your thoughts on how Azarenka's absence, first of all, congratulations, Vika. And secondly, how, how does her exit from the tour for the rest of 2016, it looks like, at least, um, impact the um, the women's game, the landscape of the uh, this hardcourt season? And it will be hardcourt the whole rest of the year. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, as you said, first and foremost, congratulations to Victoria Azarenka um, on the news. And, and uh, hopefully she's feeling great about it and excited for for what's to come, which will be very exciting times. But uh, but yeah, I mean, just I, I kind of had the same, you know, train of thought that you did this week, really, simply because I had to do or not had to do, but I wrote up, a, you know, like a, a road to Singapore update post uh, for the WTA website. Um, just breaking down the players who are in the top uh, top 10 uh, as we leave Wimbledon and move in towards the hardcourt season. And yeah, I mean, Victoria Azarenka is still number three in the RTS. And this is a player who was so, you know, massively relevant uh, three months ago as we were leaving Miami. And she had just won her third title, won India Wells and Miami, beat Serena, beat Kerber. I mean, she was right there. And then since my power Miami, rankings number one, yeah. yeah, power rankings number one, absolutely. And then leaves uh, Miami and doesn't and plays just six matches um, through after that. Um, two of them were Fed Cup matches, four other matches, one ending in a retirement. Um, obviously, at the French Open, didn't play any grass court events. And so when I wrote up my my kind of uh, you know uh, little blurb on her, it, it ended with it all begs the question: When will we see a healthy Azarenka back on court? And 48 hours later, we got a little bit more clarity on that answer as as Vika did make the announcement that she is expecting a child. So, you know, I think it changes things in in a pretty significant way, especially because it's the hard courts, and and we know that when she is healthy, as she's proven in the past, she is uh, even ahead of Kerber. I think the the number two challenger to Serena Williams. Um, on the hard courts. And so, you know, you do lose that as part of uh, the the current landscape. And I mean, thankfully, and luckily, there are other players who have proven that they're ready to to kind of, uh, you know, uh, fill that void. Like, I don't think that Vika was like the only person, which is maybe what we felt like, you know, two years ago. Probably thought in January. I mean, nobody saw Kerber coming. You're right. Yeah, recently. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. In January and March, you know, because at the time everybody kind of thought, well, you know, do we really think that Kerber's win was a thing or was it a fluke? Now, after Wimbledon, we realized like, you know, Angelique Kerber's very good at tennis and she is a solid number two. In fact, she is closer to Serena in the rankings at this point than she is um, to the number three player. Mm-hmm. So she, you know, she's creating distance between herself and the field. But um but yeah, no, it definitely changes things. Um, and, you know, we don't know when we are going to see Vika back on court. Obviously, she wants to come back on court. That's that's what uh, her statement basically says. But, you know, we'll, it's going to be it's going to take some time. And, uh, you know, it, it's 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 hard to say that it's a bummer because obviously it's amazing news for her personally. But uh, from just a tennis landscape, it just it really felt like she was building this great momentum in the first three months of the season. And now, uh, you know, we're just going to have to play a little bit of a waiting game to see when she she can come back on court. And then from there, whether she can kind of reach the similar competitive heights as uh, as she did pre-baby. I mean, it's a bummer in that her absence that we felt, for sure. Yeah. And with this, and I guess I'm not exactly sure, rankings-wise, she's number six, I think. But if she had been able to get up to top four, which would not have been a stretch, given that she has a couple really solid tournaments for her coming up in, would have been coming up in Canada and since the if she'd been healthy um, and she got in the top four, like the top four at the U S open could have been like Serena Kerber, Muguruza, Azarenka, which would feel like a fairly loaded top four and like four very solid anchors for the four quarters of the draw on hard courts. Very and not true. that, and Halep and uh, Radvanska a little bit less proven on the American hard course, Radvanska especially. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll see uh, what it does for the, tour obviously i mean it helps everybody else's cause because she's a tough player um but yeah long term it's uh just just a another surprising absence obviously different different cause completely than sharapova's but just another player getting taken out of the running which we didn't see coming this year yeah 2016 has been fun 
been odd. Um, yeah, it's been it's been curveball after curveball. But yeah, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, right now, yeah, Azarenka is number six. So when you start to look at the U.S. Open, obviously that that helps a Venus Williams, for example, who might have some room to grab some points, you know, and who knows, maybe she can crack into the top five. Halep has a ton of points to defend over the summer, so she could slip even though she's at number five right now. Um but and obviously Vinci after the U.S. Open, we're going to see where her ranking falls because it's it's definitely inflated by that run to the final. Um, at right now, as she sits at number eight, but Serena's got points to defend too. Yeah, and the Serena, number one we haven't mentioned, but the number one is up for grabs this summer. Very much up for grabs. Um, you know, and, and and Kerber has a few points to defend, but like I said, like uh, right now, yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of movement that can happen because Garbina Muguruza didn't have a great summer either last year yeah. so she has room to to get, pick up some points Halep has a ton to defend yeah we'll see some flip-flopping but the number one ranking as it was at Wimbledon even more so now definitely definitely in play very much so the other news in terms of absences were much more concentrated around the Olympics uh just in the last weekend there were a few pullouts we're recording this as of Sunday so there might be more between the time you listen to this at the rate they're going because all of a sudden uh there were four pretty high profile pullouts from the Olympics, uh, all citing Zika, which hadn't been a concern that many players had really expressed uh, with much gravity as far as Olympic participation had been concerned. But just this uh, last couple of days, Milos Ronich pulled out. I think he was the first one, then Simona Halep, then Thomas Burdich, and then Karolina Pliskova. Um, we'd seen this happen a bunch in other sports, particularly golf, Courtney. Uh, with a bunch of male golfers all setting Zika as their pullout. And in golf, it's different because it's the first time there ever been Olympic golf at all. But I guess, are you, are you surprised by the, the timing or the or the quantity of, of these pullouts that's happened this week? Um, yes and no. I mean, I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised by Simona Halep simply because she did tell Reuters in an exclusive interview during Wimbledon that she had concerns. So she was okay. one of the most vocal, the players who was most publicly vocal about kind of raising a little bit of a flag and being like, uh, I don't know for sure whether or not I'm going to Rio or not. So she flagged that at Wimbledon. And and for me, for a player to come out and say something like that, then it seemed to be a bit of an indicator that of where their mind was at. And and she, you know, I think had talked a lot with her family and, and there were genuine concerns uh, for her in her own mind about about the, the virus. Um, I think some of the other withdrawals were a little bit more were definitely more surprising simply because I mean the players were asked extensively you know this too Ben um about Zika during during uh during Wimbledon a little bit at the French Open as well but players have been asked about it and and for the most part majority wise most of them didn't really express concern um not during Wimbledon I mean um people were saying that you know, some players, I remember having a conversation with Svetlana Kuznetsova um, for the WTA Insider podcast, where she basically is just like, look, I have no idea. I'm not, I, don't, I haven't read anything. I don't know anything. I'm relying on my federation to tell me what's what. Um, but at the end of the day, hey, we all die of something, whatever. <laughs> I mean, that was literally what she said. <laughs> it was like very Sveta. And Roger Federer said kind of the same thing. It's like, look, I'm relying on the Swiss Olympic Committee and the Federation, and they're informing me. I think um, the Americans have said that the U.S. Olympic Committee has been keeping them informed. Yeah. You know, so, but... So much everyone, I talked to Sam Stoser this week in D.C. about it. She said the same thing, like the AOC Olympic Committee, keeping them all up to date on what to do, and yeah. Yeah, so people weren't, but on the whole, people, when I brought it up, people weren't super crazy like oh man I'm really like worried about it you know so um I know that we got a lot of questions about like oh why do you think this is happening for me personally like I would like to go talk to the players first (laughs) and see what they're what they're um what they say about it because I don't want to speculate I think every player is different and I think everybody makes the decision you know based on you know some players want to start families some players maybe are concerned about ranking points or prize money. Some players are concerned about getting their rankings up so that they're seated at the slam. Some players are genuinely concerned about, about the things that they're hearing that, you know, whatever it is. So for some players, maybe the Olympics aren't that big of a deal to them. I don't know. So I don't want to speculate on some broad thing. So maybe we'll re- I will revisit this like in a few weeks once I talk to them. But, um, but I know that at least for the Halep one, I, that one did not come to as a surprise for me. Plus a little bit was surprising. Yeah, no, I, I, I would say in terms of the timing, I think it really just is, and this would go to the Wimbledon answers a little bit, 
that tennis players like don't always think long term about things. Like the sport is such a hamster wheel, you just have to keep doing what's in front of you. And when they say like one match at a time or one tournament at a time or one point at a time, whatever cliche you want to do, and that's largely how a lot of the players approach things in general. And so they weren't going to think about the Olympics while they had Wimbledon, this huge carrot in front of them. And it wasn't until after that that I think maybe some of them got more serious about buckling down or reading up or, you know, getting get reading enough to get frightened or reading enough to get calm down. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I know I talked to at least one coach also in D.C. who said he's not going. His player is going. Mm. He's not going because he's he's it's in his wife or planning on having kids or something. He just didn't think it was worth it. Did you see that Leighton thing? I saw I was confused by that. I was that, really so, confused. So Leighton said Leighton pulled out as coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess he was supposed to coach the the men's team, uh, and he pulled out, I believe, due to personal reasons. I don't know if okay. he cited Zika. Okay. Um, but that was kind of one of the random ones that I saw. I was like, oh, all right. I heard, I saw, and I, I, I have no idea if I know what I'm talking about here at all. Probably not, given per usual. But did he? Was there something in that report that like he had asked for a doubles wild card and didn't get it or something? Oh, there may have been that. I don't that know. I mean, like that would be. That would be kind of weird. But, yeah, I think he said personal reasons. Yep. Okay. Personal reasons for withdrawing. Okay. Well, he'll be missed, I guess. Um, yeah. So it'll, it's, it's something to watch. I mean, I don't think we've heard the last of it uh, no. for tennis. And, and, for all, and for all these tournaments this summer, the Olympics really is like a big sort of cannonball into the pool that is the um, – tennis season and so there have been lots of pullouts everywhere like washington has also been really even much harder so far hit by pullouts and just like <laughs> i got one email from the term that was like here's seven withdrawals that happened in the last hour and it was like curios burditch um Golbis, ram you know it's a lot of people it just those are not all of them have yeah. pulled out at, at once it's just gonna you're gonna keep seeing that. you're gonna see that in canada you're gonna see that in cincy yeah and it's just it, how it's gonna be this year it happens every four years and this is always the concern and it's why we've been talking i know at least for me i've been definitely talking about the olympics since january or not even since january since the end of last season because once you insert the olympics a massive event that is going to require you know significant travel and emotional investment and all this sort of stuff into the heart of the season um, it is going to just have a ripple effect, you know, on top of that, you know, players racing to quali- get their qualification stuff in order. And so therefore, you know, uh, uh, putting Fed Cup and Davis Cup in as a, a maybe higher priority than they even prioritize it normally. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, you know, so that was always going to impact things from the very beginning so that even last off season, when there were players who were less, you know, playing exhibitions or not taking much of a rest, um, you know, playing IPTL or Champions League tennis and things like that, and then going directly into the season, I was concerned as, a, as just a pundit, like watching it all go down. I'm like, this 2016 season is crazy already. Like, take a nap. You know, like get your body in order um, so that you can compete over the course of it, because the the season is already grueling on both the ATP and WTA side um, in, you know, on a normal year. Yeah. And, then, and then you add it this year and it, it just it adds a few more, you know, curveballs. And, you know, the payoff for the players who love the Olympics is great, obviously. I mean, all you got to do is talk to Venus Williams for five minutes and, you know, everybody would be booking their flight to Rio and celebrating the Olympic experience. But for other players, you know. And you talk to Ernest Gulbis for the next five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. You know. Sure. So yeah. it, it's a really individual decision. I think it's a bit unfair personally i just think it's a bit unfair and irresponsible to like criticize an athlete's decision to skip it yeah i agree especially in tennis in any sport i suppose but for particularly those sports that have not always had the olympic tradition and have not always been there and where you know it's like when i talked to roberta vinci in in rome and she said you know when i was growing up playing tennis i didn't dream of winning olympic gold i dreamt of winning the u.s open I dreamt of winning the Grand Slam. She came so close to winning the. And she so came much. one match, you know, and and it, yeah, it's crazy, but uh, but yeah, so you know, when you have other events that are the 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 pinnacle of your tennis career, it it, it begins to to muddy up the waters just a little bit. Yeah, for sure, and it just makes things crowded. Like I was saying, even Davis Cup this weekend, we're seeing some not particularly in this in the Serbia Great Britain tie that 
obviously I've, we've watched so many Serbia versus Great Britain matches all tour year long with Murray versus Djokovic seemingly at every single tournament, every single final, uh, neither of them were there. So, I mean, ju- it just it just squeezes everything and people have to, to choose. And that's, I guess, part of the fun of being an independent contractor tennis player sometimes. Yeah. And also just, you know, that whole mentality, which we've mentioned so many times on the podcast, these players play for their country every single week. Every week they walk on the court and they're, you know, they've got their flag next to their name and they represent. So I don't know. I find the criticisms of players who've chosen not to go to the Olympics as somehow they're unpatriotic to be absolutely ridiculous because they, no other athletes have to represent their countries on a week in week out basis like these players do. Like, like Isner, Isner, um, when he pulled out of the Olympics, uh, when he announced, when he confirmed he was not playing the Olympics, I guess at French Open. Or before yeah, that, before uh, was, yeah. he he made it he made it clear that he was going to play uh, this Davis Cup quarterfinal that the U.S. is in right now against Croatia. Yeah. So again, that's not that's just that's not anti-patriotism or anti you know non-tour events that don't give ranking points. That's just his choice, his flavor of of representation and what he wants to do. Yes, yeah. that's, that's fine. It gave a spot to somebody else. So. And it, and it's the same for if you look at a Halep, you know, she played her, her Fed Cup ties. She, you know, even through injury and sickness, she still kind of tried to commit to them. And she played Bucharest this week, which even, she won it, six love, six love in the final over Sevastava. But I was like, you know, that's a level of patriotism as well. And, there, and you oh, can yeah. argue the same thing about Isner, about, you know, wanting to play Atlanta, wanting to play, you know, um, you know, these, home, these home, yeah, Washington, these home American tournaments that like, there's an argument to be made that he does more for American men's tennis by being in the draw and playing these tournaments than he does going to Rio and making the quarterfinals. Yeah, definitely. Which would be, a, a, you know, exceeding his seating. Right. And it would that. be a great yeah. result. But but what impact does that have when, you know, I mean, just speaking as an American with the Olympics, I mean, tennis. When Katie Ledecky is going to win seven medals. Yeah, anymore. exactly. It's yeah. like, yay. You know, if John made the quarterfinals. That would be tremendous at the Olympics. But it's like, look at uh, look at Michael Phelps over there doing his thing. Or, you know, Simone Biles or like, you know, it's like tennis is not the the highlight of the show. So in terms of growing the sport and inspiring kids and, and you know, helping the tournaments out you know, back stateside who need draws, who need ticket draws. I mean, obviously he's getting compensated by ranking points and money and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's nothing to, to kind of poo-poo either, that decision to, to commit to the to the home events. Agreed. No poo-poo here whatsoever. <laughs> no poo-poo. We got a question from one of our beloved listeners. They're all beloved, but one of them in particular, uh, Tony, TJC05, asks us uh, – he says, calendar year Grand Slam dominated much tennis narrative for last year, uh, of the last year, right, with Serena in 2015 and Novak, I guess, going into Wimbledon. Novak going into Wimbledon until Query happened this year, which, again, I'm still <laughs> amazed that that happened. You know, weeks on, I just, I think that result makes so much more sense on paper than in real life. In real life, I still don't get it. With that off the table, Tony asks, what are your top storylines for for U.S. Olympic swings? See spitball some stuff here okay i mean i think that i think that as much as she's gonna be over it i mean i think that there is a difference for serena between tying the record and breaking the record people are gonna talk about that 23 23 Mm -hmm. michael jordan's number yeah uh yeah no i think that serena 23 in at the u.s open again it's a great opportunity again just like last year obviously we're not talking calendar year grand slam but the coronation can once again you know dust off all of those old uh you know, um, the streamers and the confetti that you didn't get to use last year. But like she could break Stephanie, she could break the record, the open air record in New York. Yeah. At 23. Uh, so so that would be pretty cool. So I think that's a big one. Um, and a lot of that will will have to do with um, obviously just her. But I mean, I, I, you know, at, once you start to look at that as being a potential ma- massive storyline, you are looking at the Olympics a little bit because you, you do wonder because it's not a regular occurrence. So you do wonder what impact that has on that potential run at the U.S. Open. And I presume that it will be, it won't have too much of an impact because um, she currently, I believe, is not entered into Cincinnati. It's just not. Yeah, which, neither neither Venus, Serena, or Keys are entered in Cincinnati. So, like, all top 310, all American top tenors are not entered the women's side, which is pretty 
stunning for a big American tournament. Right. And so obviously that could change if the players, you know, lose early at the US Open. I'm sure wild cards will be there. Olympics, um, yeah. Or, I'm sorry, at the, the Olympics. Uh, I'm sure wild cards will be there on offer for them should they want to take them. But so Serena's not looking at a situation where she's going to be playing like bow, 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 like a bunch of tournaments before the US Open. She'll be fine. So 23, I think, is a big one. I think the other one is is going to be Novak, you know, gold medalist. I think that's... No, the, the Jokimon situation. The Jokimon. Gotta catch them all? Jokimon Go, as we'll call it in 2016 parlance. Yeah, the gotta catch them all of Djokovic. He has this elusive gold medal shot, which only happens every four years. It is like the... Um, I won't name a Pokemon here, but I could, of like elusive things. So he'll have a shot at that, and he'll have another shot at Cincinnati, which remains on the table for him to try to win all the Masters events. Um, and they're going to be back-to-back for him, and he might not play Cincy. I don't know if he uh, if he goes deep in, in Rio, because that is starting the very next week after. Serena and Venus, I think, have said they are not playing Cincinnati, or at least Serena said this because they want to stay for a closing ceremony yes, that's I've never right. done before. So that's a, another week in Rio. Which, which is awesome. I love No that. one can begrudge on that. No, yeah. I think that that's great. I mean, that that's one thing, too, that I, I really wish the tennis players, if you are going to go to Rio, like, do Rio. Yeah. Like, go to just, the, do not skip the opening ceremony. Do not skip I don't care opening if you have the first ceremony. match the next day. Exactly. Do, Unless you're like a gold medal contender. Yep. Yeah. Go to opening ceremonies, stay in the village, get, you know, go trade pins, get selfies with all the players, go to closing ceremonies. And like to do that, you basically have to screw over your own tennis a little bit to do all of that. But I think that it's, it. if we're going to prop the Olympics up as this like amazing thing, which I think that it is, like let the tennis players go experience it in full. Yeah. Um, and and as opposed to like jumping in and jumping out, because when when you parachute in and then you you, you know you get extracted, there's no it it doesn't really feel like you're a part of it. So I do hope that the players that go like they do the whole shebang. I agree, shebang away. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's one thing. The other storyline I would point to, which I mentioned earlier, is the number one ranking on the women's side, which hasn't been in play. Neither number one ranking on ATP or WTA has been in play in a while. It's been pretty stagnant atop both with Djokovic and Serena just being so good that Kerber has a real shot at number one, if she, especially if she does well in Canada and or Cincy, with Serena defending semis in Canada and um, uh, win in Cincy. Uh, and even though Kerber is defending a Stanford title, she can I think she can realistically get number one before the U.S. Open and be top seed there. And I think that she would be... I would hope she would be seen as a very entirely legit number one as a Grand Slam holder who beats Serena to win that Grand Slam. And yeah. I think Serena would say that too. And somebody who wants Stuttgart also another title, made women final. Yeah, I think her case would be pretty strong. As well, we were, we not were, the strongest ever, but you know. Not the strongest ever, but we were joking yeah. about the fact that Anjali Kerber at Wimbledon, that Anjali Kerber was a win away, a big win, but a win away from holding two majors and being ranked number two mm-hmm. had 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 Kerber beaten Serena in the Wimbledon final. She would have held two of the four majors and Serena would have held zero of the four majors and Kerber would be ranked number two behind Serena. And asked about that in her press <laughs> conference. I'm sure Kerber would have said uh, she won Rome. So it's, it's fine. It's fine. She won Rome. Skip Madrid. <laughs> like I said, it was joking, but it, but it's true. I mean, Kerber's year has been phenomenal. Um, it says a lot about Serena's year that that she that even if that were to happen that she has she has been the number one player even if Kerber wins those two majors. I mean, what she's done outside of it three Slam finals. I mean, obviously ended up winning Wimbledon. Um, uh, you know, making the final at India Wells. You know, winning uh, Rome, all these sorts of things. That's a good season. And this so, is with and this is with having no points from the fall. Yeah, she completely skipped the entire fall season, especially the World Tour. Uh, the WTA finals because there's a lot of points on offer there. Yep. So if you skip that, that can really not help your ranking at all. Um, so I would expect Serena would add some points there if she loses it. I think Serena is still number one in the race, right? Yes. Right now, so yeah. She so, only took over. Uh, she only took over number one in the race after the French Open. Right. Up until that point, she had not been number one yet. It had gone back and forth between Kerber and Azarenka. Right. Yeah. So that's another storyline. Um, other ones, I think. Uh, Let's see. I think one of the big ones is the Andy Murray storyline. I think that, you know, only because everybody after he won Wimbledon was like, oh, Andy, like, I, for whatever reason, it proved how good Andy Murray was to people, I suppose. Like, oh, he's like a super legit crazy number two. Like, is this the end of the Novak thing? It's like, everybody chill out. No, it's not the end of Novak. Um, calm down. But 
it would be obviously very important for Andy to continue his momentum. Oh, yeah. The Lendl effect, as it were, needs to continue as opposed to just be like a two week phenomenon. I was gonna I was gonna start a Twitter poll because I'm a I'm a troll of who had more to do with Andy Murray's Wimbledon title, Yvonne Lendl or Sanquary. And I would vote for <laughs> Sanquary in a heartbeat. I mean, come on. Like I, I I think that like, yeah, like Andy this this Wimbledon title is a completely deserved like lifetime achievement award. Like he should have won, you know, him getting a third slam is totally fair and everything. But did he do anything remarkable by winning that particular tournament? No. He he beat Sanga Burdich Ronich. And the thing, you know, again, like, like we were joking somewhere. Amelie is sipping a glass of red wine being like, dude, never got a shit draw when I coached him. Right. Exactly. So I don't know exactly like what's going on here. But, you know, I mean, it's true. He, he really didn't have to. He took care of business. And I think that that obviously is, is massive for Andy. You know, it was kind of a panic free five weeks other than that little weird wobble um, against Sanga. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it would be good, obviously, to see him continue it forward. Um, and then obviously the big storyline as well is, is uh, you know, the status of, of Rafa Nadal and uh, and Roger Federer. Yeah. Um, just health wise. Um, you know, there are still some questions from Roger. Didn't know, you know, why his leg gave out on him the way that it did in that match um, against Raonic. And was it Raonic? Federer, yes. Yeah, correct. Okay, yeah. Sorry, had a brain fart. Um, so there's that, Rafa in the wrist. You know, the the men's tour looks so different when there isn't a big four. The other thing you know? that, yeah, no, completely. And I think the big four is more or less gone until proven otherwise as a reliable quadumvirate, whatever that word would be. Fair. Um, and to, because I just don't think that, you know, Rafa and Roger have proven to be the sort of locks to make semis that they once were at all. So um, that's that. And the other the other main thing I would, I would focus on is a storyline for just the rest of 2016, the retirement watch. There are a lot of players I would have on the bubble of announcing retirements this year. We, and we said we had circled the Rio Olympics for this forever. Um, I think the Bryan brothers, uh, they're one example, who have been more somewhat vocal about it. Wimbledon, they were saying maybe our last Wimbledon more openly than most, and just a lot of other players um, who are getting older, who are, you know, settling down, having, you know, getting married, whatever, are possible people who we could see not come back after U.S. Opener whenever they want to pull ripcord officially. Yeah, I think people know who they are, but there's a lot of players who've been hanging on who might not hang on past this year. So it just, it just feels like there's like a, a buildup of players who could have retired, who haven't yet. And I just expect the dam to break mm. at some point. Right? Do you have that feeling at all? No? Is that just me? I I just, I don't know. I just, it sounds like a weird way to phrase it, but I just don't trust them. Like, there's <laughs> a part of me that just kind of thinks that they're just going to believe. Like, that, you know, ten, the psychology of a tennis player, like Ben was mentioning before earlier, is that, you know, it's so tunnel vision and it's so like most of the times they're, they're just trained to not even know where they're going to be next week. They don't yeah. know what flights are taking, what their next flight is or what their next hotel is. They gen- genuinely, they have no idea because it depends on what they do on any given week at a tournament. So that does breed within you this, this kind of compulsive sense of hope. That next week it can turn around. Next week it can turn around and any given, you know, any given week. Um, and I remember I think it was maybe Baczynski. Was it Baczynski? It may have been Baczynski who was saying that, you know, it's not about any given Sunday, you know, with respect to like what anything can happen in the finals. It's every given Monday and Tuesday. Like all you need, because the most difficult match, at least this is what the women will say, is that the most difficult match is the first match of any tournament. Once you get past that, like you feel like you can relax a little bit and you're into the tournament. But in those first one or two matches, anything can happen. That almost so many of them are just 50 hmm. 50 matches. And so she's kind of like, it's not about like, oh, anybody can beat anybody in the final. It's about anybody can beat anybody in the first two rounds of any tournament. And it's a matter of surviving those. And if you think that though, and if you believe that, and you can get past those early rounds, then anything can happen for you on any given week. That's true. And we, and we certainly see people hanging on um, whose rankings wouldn't seem to justify that. I mean, in terms sure. of naming people like uh, Skiavoni or Hantukova. Both former top five players um, and Skibone Grand Slam champion, who I don't think 
anybody expects them to ever, you know, either of them make, I don't know, a Grand Slam quarterfinal again. But they're just but then the enjoying team. the ride also. And, exactly. they, and they don't know. And you don't know that that won't happen for sure. Things can break your way. And you see, you know, things happen like Vesnina making a Wimbledon semifinal might give hope to someone like a Schiavone. Like, hey, you know, not that, you know, Vesnina is awful, but if things can break her way, why can't they break my way? And hang on and keep the flame of hope alive, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's about it's about the just... And the money is good. And the money so, is good. I mean, there there yeah. is that. I've definitely heard that justification from quite a few coaches and, and analysts, which is that the money is good. Why wouldn't you just like, travel the world and do it? And yeah. um, and again, you know, it's not always about this Grand Slam quarterfinals. Some of them, just, they just enjoy it. And, you know, and Roger Federer says this himself all the time. Like, you guys think that I'm obsessed with just trophies. And I just like being a professional tennis player. I play for other things. That are not just, uh, you know, the accolades and things like that. So he says, but I do think that some of them are just going to do it because it's fun and, you know, and they don't know when it's over. It's like this balance between like, it's fun. And also I do think that I can still do something significant in the sport and I want to go out on my own terms and I want to go out in a good way. But there's just, you know, I always say this about the job that I have, which is like, I don't complain about it. The traveling is amazing. Um, but there will come a day where I wake up in a hotel room and I'm like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to travel. I don't want to be on another plane. The idea of like all of that is no longer attractive to me. And then when that happens, then, you know, I will hang my hard drive up. But until, <laughs> you know, but until then, like, you just kind of feel like, I don't know, ten- tennis, the, the, the mentality of I don't know what's happening on any given week. It infects not just the players, it infects us as well. So you just kind of go along with it. And then next thing you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, I've been doing this for how long? So I just don't think that sometimes these players have really – and the tour is so unrelenting that when do you actually have time to really think about it? Yeah. It's really hard. It's easier to just play than to, like, stop and think about something for, like, eight months and then decide whether or not you're over it or not. No, that's totally true. That's what we see with a lot of players who've hung on. Like I said, I mentioned those two, you know, Leighton Hewitt, you mentioned briefly earlier, hung on forever. Um, and still maybe possibly wanting Olympic wildcards. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's tough to stop and people aren't going to tell you to stop. And former players often tell aging current players, you know, don't leave before you don't, if you're on the fence, stay. Mm. Once it's over, it's over. You know, you can't, you'll regret, you might regret leaving too soon, but you won't regret staying too long. Mm, That's what I've heard. I've heard former players say that. I could see that. Yeah. So yeah, there we go. Uh, you want to take a number? Sure. All right. Let's take a number. We're going to take a number. If we haven't heard take a number before, it's where we take a number from a random number generator between 1 and 100 and talk about the man and woman who correspond to that number on the ATP and WTA rankings. You ready to rock? Ready to rock. All right. Our number is 33. Oh, that's solid. Solid. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Not seated, but what can you do? Maybe seated. One pull out. That's true. That's true. I always like the 33rd seed when they pop up in a grand slam. I always feel, you know, excited for them. I don't know. When you see that number, is it like, is that, is that a cool thing to feel or does it just look stupid when you're like a non-regulation seed? <laughs> I don't I don't think you care. It looks like a knockoff seed. I don't think you care. I think you're in it. There's an occasion like 34. I've seen 34th seed. I don't know if I've ever seen 35th seed. Hmm. Also think about that one. But 33. Yes. All right. Courtney, tell me about the woman at number 33. All you need to know about the woman at 33, who's in the midst of of probably her best, yeah, definitely her best season uh, so far, uh, young career. But uh, she is Puerto Rico's finest. Ah, she's all the way up there. Okay. Yeah, Monica I didn't know she was ranked that high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in the midst of a. Of a really, really, really good season, r- really good season, and really under the radar how how good it's been. Um, yeah. and uh, you know, pulling off some good wins and just like some standard wins, started the season well. You know, made, made that Sydney uh, final, made that Sydney final. Uh, did a great job there. Had some some good wins here and there. Um, beat you know was a pretty good player that you can bet on to like beat some seeds. You know, like she beat uh, Petkovic. Um, in Charleston, knocked out Schmidlova and India Wells. I mean, obviously, those are two players who are kind of mired in a bit of a slump. But, um, you know, she can kind of get that stuff done, which is pretty good. Uh, and then as a qualifier, made the semifinals of Eastbourne, which was a pretty great run from her. Beat uh, Caroline Wozniacki, Christina Modenovic, um, Naomi Brody. But yeah, so she's 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 a good one. 
She's doing we'll good get, things. We'll get to her her dance partner, um, who I think I feel like I know something about his musical tastes, but I don't know what they are. But I think they're strange. I think they don't align with mine. I'll put them that way. Number thirty three, um, one of the more unusual game styles and unique on the ATP tour, um, has made for some of the most exciting matches, particularly one from four four and a half years ago in the uh, Australian Open. I know who you're talking all-time, about. All-time favorite match of mine. Uh, he is from Ukraine. He made the semifinals of Indian Wells two years ago. It's Alexander Dogopolov. Solid. Again, who I'm a little surprised is ranked this high, because I feel like he hasn't had a great 12 months, but good for him. Uh, let's start with uh, Monica. Do you, do you have a one stand-up memory of Monica? I probably have a couple, but... I mean, the main things that come up, that come to mind uh, with Monica is just that she's like an incredibly nice, sweet person. Um, I've been interviewing her and has been around her, you know, the last three years and even was familiar with her when she was a junior because she was a, she was a well-ranked junior and played alongside, you know, the Laura Robsons, the Jeannie Bouchards, like that, that generation. She's a Saviano player. kid. Yeah, she's yeah. a Saviano kid as well. Her, yeah, Puig, Robson, Bouchard. Sloane Stevens and Mallory Burdett, I guess, are the sort of five Saviano ones from that generation. Yep, that little crew. And, you know, she's she's an incredibly feisty. I mean, she's fight. She's a fighter on the court, off the court. She's just really sweet, very earnest, um, a lovely player to talk to, always kind of smiling and, you know, cracking, you know, some jokes here and there. But, um, yeah, she's just, you know, she's one of the she's just one of the nice kids. That That's yeah, kind definitely. of my big Monica Puig, uh, Monica Puig memories, I suppose. Yeah, no, definitely. She definitely has that feistiness on court. I think my first memory of her is, I don't know if she won this match or not, which I feel like would be a crucial thing to know. But she played Venus Williams in Charleston. I think she won. Did she win? Uh, early round in Charleston was a night match. And I remember Monica just being like so undaunted by it. And just being sort of like loving the stage and loving the occasion for like the sort of prize fight match she got to play against a great champion like Venus Williams on a night session on the main court. And just that sort of big sit. She hasn't had, for all the things I'm saying, she hasn't had very many matches that fit that description, considering her ranking. Um, she's not somebody who I can think of playing like many big slam matches per Agreed. se. She hasn't had she a lot of big court. No, she hasn't like, gotten the draws or the, or the results. I mean, she hasn't had super consistent slam results. I mean, she, I think she made uh, fourth round during uh, Wimbledon 2013 when everything fell apart in that draw. She made fourth round there. She, I think she beat a Ronnie first round, which was not surprising on grass. Um, and then uh, made fourth round and lost to Sloan Stevens, I believe, in the fourth round of that tournament. Um, but yeah, but she's somebody who I think will, once she gets to that big stage, I think will thrive there. Um, it's just a question of getting there. We've seen that with a lot of players, you know, players like like Laura Robson, like Sloane Stevens, <laughs> and like Jeannie Bouchard. Think <laughs> about the Saviano kids. The like Saviano all, crew. There was like a big stage mentality about all those players, really. Yeah. Well, they're um, big, and they haven't they're big personalities. Their best yeah. You know, and I think that of of them, you know, the the quieter ones were probably a Mallory Burdett, and who was older also uh, compared to yeah. those those young ones, and um and obviously Puig. But the thing about Puig is is that the ambition is there. She's incredibly hardworking. Um, you know, we talked to her a little bit in Eastbourne and about just how she's transformed her game a little bit this year. She has a big her serve. So yeah, much. her serve is like a legit weapon now. It's it's big, you know, and she can play, you know, she's not as good of an athlete as Sloan, but she kind of has a similar game style. <clears throat> big serve can kind of whip through the ball. Um, it can go off as well, but she has the competitive instincts, I think, that are really going to serve her well over time. And she said that so much of kind of maybe the slump that she had the last couple of years is really related to just kind of like getting used to her body. You know, young women, they mature, their bodies change and they get, you know, you start to pick up injuries, you start to pick up um just uh, you get older and, and and things just get feel a little bit off. And she said that it took her some time to kind of figure all of that out. But she feels like she she kind of gets it now and she's able to use her body, uh, her body much more efficiently and effectively on court. So. So, yeah, but but she's she's improving her game and she's doing all the things that like you want to see young players do um, in terms of how they approach things and, and being professional and stuff. So. So it's good to see. Definitely. Um any other thoughts on her? Should we move to Mr. Dolgopolov? Sure. The dog. The dog. Um, yeah, Dolgopolov is is another player. It's not. He was the first one. Speaking of Zika, he was the first one who mentioned he wasn't playing there. He didn't play Olympics in 2012 either, and I think that got him his biggest 
career title. I think he wasn't eligible. I think he lost his ITF appeal for not playing Davis Cup um, in 2012. He played Washington, I remember that summer, and won it and got a lot of points for winning it, 500 points. Uh, anyway, what makes Dolko Paul is one of those players who I just think it makes the game like what I liked about tennis is that like it's all about like they're so all the only real mandate is you just have to knock the ball over the net more times than the other guy. And how how you want to do that, like you can do it however the hell you want. And he is like sort of pushes the boundaries of that with his all of his slicing, his like weird choppy strokes, uh, his sort of odd service motion where he bends his neck and then sort of snaps forward. Um, he's somebody who I think just makes in, in a game that can be fairly monotonous in terms of just baseline play. And he is a baseliner, but in terms of what can be the monotony of, you know, assembly line players getting spit out on both tours, uh, more, more often than not, uh, well, uh, is an exception to that rule. And one of the people who makes tennis so much fun and that match I mentioned his, 2012 fourth round match against uh, Bernard Tomic at the Australian Open, third or fourth, third round at the Australian Open. It's just one of my favorite matches ever. Yeah. Just like the things they were, the points they were constructing with both of them like playing happily, playing into each other's weirdnesses. It's just, was just great. And it was five sets and just one of my favorite matches ever. It wasn't like the most, and I say that when people ask me what my favorite match of all time is, depending on who it is, if they like have, will have any idea what I'm talking about, I usually answer that one. Yeah, no, I still so remember that, that night. Good. You were yeah. like on a high. Like I loved ben, it. Ben was like on a contact high off of that match. Like it was, he was so excited and it was a great match. I mean, it, people should still queue up the highlights. I mean, yeah, I'll tweet out the highlights. Yeah, match, there's sure. just some crazy point construction and, and those two putting so much English on that ball. I mean, it was just sick, like spin everywhere. It was great. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, other. Dolga Polov facts. He uh, he suffers from what is it? Gil- Gilbert's disease, some sort of some autoimmune uh, disease. Yeah, some sort of autoimmune yeah. syndrome. Um, uh, yeah, and so he's kind of always had to deal with that. He gets ill quite a bit. He can, you know, kind of pull out of tournaments due to viral due to illnesses, fatigue. He'll suffer some some tough losses here and there. Some of it's due to that. Could be due to other things, but he is. It is something that he is dealing with. Um, yeah, Gilbert syndrome. Yeah, Gilbert that. syndrome. So there is that, and uh, and yeah, um, he has very interesting social media presence. Um, oh yeah, he I've does some odd things on Instagram. Stop, I think I've stopped following him because I'm just like, oh no, yeah. Yeah, there were some but, uh, strange bondage things or something. There was bondage things. He just tweeted one of him with a gun at maybe a mm. gun range or something, uh, which is. You know, fine, but also maybe a bit tone deaf um, with respect to the current state of the world. Um, yeah. yeah. Don't, do, don't do guns, kids. Don't do guns. Really unnecessary. It's fine. Just, yeah. You know, play video games. It's cool. Right? And they can be a gun in the video game. That's fine. Oh, my gosh. I love, like, World War II video games. Like, I, what am I? Yeah. I, I play shoot 'em up games. They're fun. And whenever there's, I, yeah, but I would not touch an actual real gun. I just never would. It would freak me out. Fair. That's how I roll. Anyways, so that's Alexander Zolgopolov. He he's got some opinions. They're not always popular. Um, yeah. I feel like we're glossing over that part like a lot. Like I remember what what were the unpopular opinions? Um, there's some prize money stuff. No, homophobic uh, comments oh, okay. on his uh, social media. Oh, that's right. Yep, and yeah, some homophobic comments, misogynistic comments. Yeah, a whole plethora of things. Um, like I said, don't follow him anymore. So maybe he's written more. Maybe he's written less. Maybe he's become a feminist. I don't know. But somehow I doubt it. Yeah, I just I looked at his, his uh, Twitter and saw this video, the, the gun video. And he's wearing a shirt that says, beware of the dog. And I would be more aware of the dog. That's not how you phrase that. But if <laughs> because the dog is holding an assault rifle, that's not my kind of canine. No. So. Yeah. no. All right. That was number 33. Alexander Dolgopolov. Better with the racket. Great with the racket than other things, and Monica Puig. It would be like a fun mixed doubles team. I would totally watch the two of them. They would seem to be decent compliments to each other. I would prefer for Monica Puig not to play tennis with Alexander Dolgopolov. That's where I stand on that one. You can go with that, too. Thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of No Challenge Remaining, episode 161. If you want to follow along and you're not listening to this episode or other episodes, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcasts, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. 
send us questions for upcoming episodes uh, to our email, nochallengedmanning at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to us on a podcast app, such as iTunes or uh, the podcast app on your phone, whatever, and get episodes delivered automatically, which is a cool way to do it and make your life a lot easier uh, and just get because just no one has time to look for things. So just let them come to you. We're happy to do that. The executive producers of No Challenges Remaining are Pancho Resendez of TennisBalls.com and Tal Woolley. Courtney, you want to go first on this rant rave or second or what's your what's your plan? Sure, I'll, I'll pound it out. Sure. Okay. I've got a rave. Sure. So last week, um, I can't remember what day it was. It might have been Tuesday, I think, was uh, Amazon Prime Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So there were all these sales and deals and whatever. It was basically Black Friday, but for Amazon uh, Prime members, uh, which was great. Anyways, I was there good stuff on sale. There was actually there was actually a lot of good stuff on sale. Some of the stuff I missed the sale on because it was like in, you know, time increments. And um, and yeah, there were some pretty some pretty cool things. But one thing that I picked up, I didn't buy actually a lot. But um, one thing that I did finally just buy just because I was curious and it was on a discount. Uh, I bought the Amazon Echo. Now, oh, is that the thing that's like yeah. the the thing that's like a, a pillar? Yes. Okay. Yes. So the Amazon Echo is effectively a Bluetooth speaker that has voice recognition. And gotcha. it connects into your Wi-Fi and you hook up all of your kind of internet accounts to it. And then you can just talk to it and then it'll give you whatever. So I have the Amazon Echo in my room and I, 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 I kind of just wanted to play around with it. And I had every intention of just like basically like being like, eh, and then just sending it back and be like, I didn't like it. Um, but I was just curious <laughs> about it because the voice recognition um, uh, algorithms that they've been have been heavily touted uh, within the Echo. So I just wanted to play with the voice rec stuff. Um, and I love it. It's actually really, really helpful. And I've only had it for about four or five days. But what I really do, so basically, you can sit there, you can say, you know, um, it's kind of like Siri, but you don't have to push a button. So it sits in your room and I can walk in my room and be like, and there are three, you can either say Amazon, Alexa, or Echo. And I just think it's weird to call it Alexa, like it's a thing. And Amazon. (laughs) It's a little bit her. Yeah, Yeah. it's very her. I don't like that. And then Amazon's just generic. So I call mine Echo. Um, cause it sounds like a robot. Um, yeah. so I can just, it is like, a robot. yeah. So like, for example, this morning I woke up super groggy. Oh no, sorry. Here, I'll start this from yesterday. So yesterday I go into my room, I take my laptop with me. I'm working and fiddling on my laptop in my bed. And, um, I tell, I was like, echo, I'm reading this Veronica Mars book. <laughs> I don't, it's on audible only because Kristen Bell, like, narrates it so i was like so but anyways because audible like a novelization of veronica mars yeah but like not like of the episodes like a new story that's written by the guy who like wrote anyway characterizations or whatever anyways it's dumb but uh yeah (laughs) but i'm in the middle of it so i'm sitting there and i'm like you know echo play uh or echo read what i say oh echo read veronica mars it's like boom so it starts going like okay, that's, well, that's that's cool. Right, so like I'm just working, you know, hands free. Da 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 da. Did you and usually like install your Audible onto Echo? No, so it's connected via your Wi-Fi. You just go and you connect all of your accounts. So there are certain. So basically, so I was doing that, and then, and then I was like, okay, um, you know, you can control the volume. Obviously, Echo Volume Four, so it brings it down a little bit. And then I was starting to get sleepy, so I knew I had to set my alarm. So I was like, Echo, set alarm for 10 a.m. It confirms alarm set for 10 a.m. Cool. Da, 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 da. And then like, obviously I'm drifting off and I've got little, all the lights are off and I'm just lying there, like listening to this Veronica Mars book. So finally I'm like, Echo, stop in 10 minutes. And it's like, okay, we'll stop. And then it, it confirms it back to you. So yeah, sure enough, in 10 minutes, it shuts off like a sleep timer. That's cool. so, so then this morning the alarm goes off. Actually, no, I snap awake at like eight o'clock and I just like, whatever. So I was like, Echo, um, Echo, play, N- play NPR. So it plays NPR, the live stream of the NPR, uh, whatever. So it's telling me the news and whatever. I was like, okay, echo stop in 10 minutes. And I fell back asleep and then my alarm went off at 10. And then again, I woke up and I was like, echo play NPR or, and then I was like, echo, what's the weather in Palo Alto today? Um, all this sort of stuff. So it's all, and then it hooks into your Spotify and also it hooks into Amazon prime music if you're a prime member. So you have access to all the music. So yesterday I was unpacking and I was like, echo play Justin Timberlake, uh, whatever that new song is. I can't stop the feeling. 
whatever the new okay anyways i was like echo play that and they're like and then it like yeah it played up i have no idea where it accessed it whether it accessed it on amazon or spotify or whatever but it started playing it i tried i was like am i was like echo play beyonce i cannot play beyonce <laughs> it's like, yeah, because beyonce is not available on any of the services but yeah see like you know it has tune in so you can play any radio station um yeah so i'm still like learning what other stuff to like use like that I can like anyways it's been fun and it was like 140 bucks it, are, you, are you gonna like take this on the road with you no I don't think so it's a, I mean how big is it it's like like roll of paper towel size yeah it's like, like a roll of paper to- like a like a half used roll of paper towels okay like that tall okay you know but then you'd have to like hook it into the wi-fi every time and if the you know how hotel wi-fis are they're not constant and it logs you out and yeah so it doesn't always work. But yeah, but like you just it's always on and it always recognizes there has not been a moment where it doesn't turn on when I say like echo and the, it like flashes a light and then you say whatever the command is. Did you ever see the, the Disney Channel movie Smart House? No. Starring Katie Seagal as the smart house who becomes a maternal figure. And then like I forget how it ends, but it doesn't end well for her. Mm. It was dark. Um, anyway, it sounds like that. Yeah. So. Okay. Cool. Yeah, like people put it in their kitchens, so then you can say like Echo set timer for thirty minutes, or Echo how many cups are in a liter, you know, and it does all those. It can do all those conversions. You can tell it to read your Wikipedia entry. Yeah, that's cool. The reading stuff out loud. Yeah, Siri does a lot of that stuff. Exactly. But, and there is a way to voice activate Siri, but I, I don't know. How. I use Siri a fair amount. You you do use Siri for it. I just like the hands free aspect of it. Like I don't have to. I can get all this stuff done without touching my phone. Because once I turn on my phone in the morning, like my eyes are really tired anyway. And then I'm not going to put it down for 30 minutes because I'll check all my apps and whatever. But at least this way I can just kind of like not look at a computer screen for maybe two hours a day. That sounds nice. Which is nice. My my That's a good segue into mine mm. because my sort of rant rave slash advice is that this past week was so ridiculous in terms of news um, <laughs> in the world and just mostly awful news, pretty much exclusively awful news. I mean, I guess you could have alternate views on the Turkey thing, but not good news, put it that way. And at some point, I just found myself just like actively checking out of things, which is not what I normally do, but like, or just decide not to engage on something. I think it was the Nice, it was the Nice yeah. terrorism attack where I actively said, you know what, I'm just like going to not read anything about that or you know listen to anything or watch news segments on it i'm just gonna skip this one i'll skip all of them forever i'm gonna stay like somewhat aware of the news but at some point it becomes just like a self-preservational thing that you have to like not let yourself get raked over the coals with the constant deluge of stuff and this will definitely applies to like the presidential race which will get keep getting worse and worse over God, it's not over for like another four months. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like for people who are getting sick of the world, like the world can wait. You don't need the world. You are allowed to step away and it's okay. It really is. That's part of why, like I have kind of thrown myself into video games for, since I've been home is like when I'm playing video games, as opposed to any, unless I'm reading a book, I'm not, I can't be engaged with anything else. Right, like that's true. You they do take up all of your all of your attention. Yeah, like my hands are busy, my eyes are busy. Uh, I can't multitask. Yeah, I can't multitask when I play a video game. I I can only do that one thing, and I weirdly I did a little bit of the same with you. The niece thing, I kind of, um, yeah, I may have I may have hit like next track, please. It's just like it's I just, just like... I just couldn't. Not in the state that I was with like no sleep and. I just was not emotionally ready to deal with another incident no. like it's, that. And it's nothing disrespectful to anyone who, you know, was injured or killed in that. It's just like, at a certain point, you know. Self-preservation but, is exactly. necessary. So that's what we're saying to everybody. I'll say to everybody here. And if you ever get sick of us, don't listen to us. Exactly. But um, hopefully not. And check hopefully. out a tennis every once in a while. And check yeah. out of, you know, politics. or just like, And it's helpful to just come back with like a fresh eye and like. You know, and I can always tell when I start getting really, really negative and then I'm just like, okay, I need to like step away for a little bit. And then when I come back, then I can be lighthearted and jokey again. But right now it's actually pretty hard because it's really hard to be lighthearted and jokey when all of these things are happening. Yeah. So with that, we'll make this episode stop happening (laughs) and we will be back to you soon. Bye, guys. Later.